New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show and day two of our Women's World Cup reportage, mate. It was frantic and physical in Melbourne as Canada and Nigeria drew, where Christine Sinclair earned a penalty but couldn't follow through. The Philippines were impressive in their first ever World Cup appearance, but Zeb Brennigan warned us about the neutrals as the Swiss won with perseverance. And Spain showed us why they're set to take a dominant role with hundreds of passes and crosses and successful shots on goal. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who loves a good future armor reference in an intro, Taylor Rockwell. Howdy doody. Howdy doody. I do indeed, my friend. Always love a Futurama reference, especially when it's the neutral planet uh, and the neutral president as he thinks he's about to die saying, tell my wife I said hello. (laughs) Yes, I I love the neutrals. I didn't necessarily love the neutral Swiss playing in this one, but we'll talk about that game in a bit. We will do very much so, Taylor Rocco. Looking forward to getting to that, but not before we introduce a man who probably has the worst possible time zone for this tournament, Arizona Joe Lowry. Auckland Joe, 19 hours ahead of Arizona. They're in the future. Where are you? Huh? Huh? I'm I'm stuck in the past like an absolute yeah. chump. I, I'm not sure that the West Coast, or, or I mean, I'm not on the West Coast, but that, you know, mountain time, Pacific time is worse than Eastern time. I think it just kind of depends on the game. But it is, it's not the easiest thing. But I don't want to complain too much about the time zones throughout this tournament. I'll complain a little bit here and there. I just want to give you props, Ryan, for realizing, hey, I need an Australian tie-in. Let me just say the word mate aggressively in the intro. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that, that the a lot. <laughs> I enjoyed that a lot. I said it after the word reportage in a slightly French accent. I'm, I'm mixing things up, Joe. That's what I'm here for. You're very Proud welcome. You. Proud You're of very you. welcome. Thank you. Proud of you too, bud. Joining us, rounding out the pack, a man who ordered McDonald's today because the World Cup told him to. Graham Rutherford, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, it did. I'm not proud of the fact. I've never felt more got in my life than I did this morning when very hungry and having been up since half five this morning watching Philippines versus Switzerland, I decided to order Uber Eats McDonald's to my home. It wasn't a, it wasn't a proud moment for me, Ryan. You said that twice now. I feel like there's a little bit of pride, though, at the same time. Like, you, you got what you wanted. You got the meal you needed. I feel like Graham has no shame when it comes to eating McDonald's. So uh, maybe it's not proud, but maybe it's not not proud. <laughs> well, see, I, I'm leaving out the fact that I also ordered a McFlurry at 10.30 ah. in the morning. So oh. <laughs> that I think- bit I'm definitely not proud of. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm totally fine with you getting McDonald's now and then, Graham, but ordering it in makes it a lot worse somehow, doesn't it? It does. It does when it's also for yourself. Like if it's a big <laughs> order, you don't feel so bad for the person that's dropping it off. But if it's like two McMuffins, a coffee and a McFlurry, the, the guy ordering it was wondering what was up in the house that he was delivering to. <laughs> Uh, all right, I have a question. Is it worse to have that delivered in or as my college buddy once did to get like 
I think he got two burgers, an extra large fry, a drink, and like maybe an apple pie. Then on the way home, decided that wouldn't be enough, and I think stopped at Taco Bell and <laughs> yeah, got that like one. four tacos, that one's and worse. then went home. That one's worse. I feel yeah, like the double worse. trip is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't feel that doesn't feel great. I mean, <laughs> I am uh, I'm, I'm intrigued as to how Joe ordered his cotton candy, and I feel like there's a story ah. <laughs> around this in in All Star Week, All Star Game. Joe, did you did you Uber Eats your cotton candy? How did you get hold of that? I didn't Uber Eats. I just searched for it in the the bowels of Audi Field, which are everywhere, like the the bowels. That is yes. Audi Field, very strange field in Major League. It's like Soccer. an iceberg, Joe. It's like an iceberg where it's like the tip of Audi Field is the stadium above and then below is just this network of hallways that don't Tunnels connect to anything. And but you're not allowed to yes. go down them. Do not go down those hallways, but maybe do. Who cares? Whatever. So just right. stick with the tip. Got it. Yeah. So I don't care. At, at some point in this process, there was cotton candy for those of us that were there covering the game. And I was walking with, with Taylor and Travis Clark, who does a lot of good work covering uh, youth soccer in the United States. Yeah. And, and none of them, neither of them grabbed cotton candy, but I, I took one from the cotton candy lady and said, thank you very much. <laughs> and I and need I to pause it. there. Please. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, I have no, to pause please. you there just to say that, like, because it was your usual sort of press fair. Uh, and then on the way out, they had, I guess because for MLS All-Star, everyone covering it as children, uh, but they had a like candy table where you could get like rock candy that they were making yeah. and different like handmade candies, including a spun cotton candy thing that then the person, as we walked by, like held in front of us, like trying to get us to ooh, take it. Ooh. The way you would like if you're running a marathon and people are handing you water. And Travis and I were sort of like, oh, no, thank you, and kept walking. And then I just turned around to talk to Joe, not realizing he had taken one. And there was Joe with his giant cotton candy, just smiling and like, bobbing along, uh, and he crushed it. Joe ate the entire thing, and maybe that was to his detriment. I, I did. Well, first of all, I don't have time for rock candy. I don't have time for Jolly Correct. Ranchers. Like, who, Correct. who is that for? I don't understand. But you have time like, for a whole thing of cotton candy at the All-Star game. I absolutely do. Graham, there was maybe 100 <laughs> yards between where that cotton candy station was and the elevator that we were taking up to our seats, which were, which were awesome. Never had better seats ever before. Uh, and I'm in the elevator. It's gone at this point. Like it is completely gone. All that's left is the stick still there. <laughs> the dry, yeah, stick like this paper cone with just like the sticky red remnants of cotton candy on it. Um, and it's also at this point gotten on my hands as well because I don't know. I'm holding the sticky stick. What do you What do you want from me? So I go in the elevator with Taylor and Travis, and there's like it's it's packed. This elevator's packed. We had to wait. I think this was the second one that we were we were trying to get into. We finally get in. We squeeze in, and I look over my shoulder, and who is standing there? But Greg Berhalter. No, I genuinely didn't. No. Why is he at the MLS All-Star game? I don't. I, what is the tie? I guess I didn't understand that. So scouting Austin Trusty, baby. He's there for the cotton candy. <laughs> right. Scouting, <laughs> scouting Austin Trusty, and hopefully there for cotton candy. I turn around, and my first instinct when I see him is to shake his hand because I feel like that's what you do oh, in these no. kind of situations. <laughs> but my hand at this point, I realized as I'm starting to extend, is like very, like exceedingly sticky. Like you know, I don't understand <laughs> Taylor and Ryan. You guys might get this better. Toddlers are just like always sticky somehow. Yeah. Like you hang, yeah. like you're you're around somebody with kids, and they're they're just sticky. Like I don't know mm-hmm. where it comes from. Maybe it comes from within. I was that toddler in this you case, and so I, I quickly pivot away from the handshake and go towards a, a, a fist bump instead. Which I'm not sure if that was the right play. I don't know what the right play was, but I said hello. We small talked for a moment. I mentioned that I was in fact the little my hand was a little sticky. No, and then he no, got off. The I cannot. I cannot <laughs> abide this. What happened uh, was that <laughs> Joe said, hi, nice to see you. And Greg Berhalter, to his credit, was like, oh, yeah, good to see you, too. And then Joe said, to my hearing, I'd shake your hand, but my hands are too sticky. Yeah. <laughs> Which oh, was no. just like not what I was ready for Joe no to say. No context but, whatsoever. But, but I think 
no, no, there was, Graham, there was. Right, I was holding the stick. Like, again, this was it was very clear what I had been up to, Taylor, continue. But I just need to say, the key part of this is not that Joe was nervous. Like, I would have, if I had the stickiness, I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry, my hands are sticky. Joe was just, again, like, I guess very happy about the cotton candy. I was stoked, And man. said that to Greg Berhalter the way he would say it to a toddler, the way he would say it to, like, anyone. was just like, oh, hi. Like, it was, it was as though you ran into an old college buddy, Joe. And I don't know if you and Greg Berhalter <laughs> are just, like, straight-up bros, no, and I didn't no, know we're it. Not. Maybe he also, like, maybe you guys bonded over the cotton candy machine. Who knows? But Joe's just nonchalant, like, oh, hey, good to see you. My hands are too sticky. Sorry. I don't, it was just an amazing little moment in a genuinely wow. packed in like sardines elevator yeah, that Joe just happened to be That's the other element here is I, I still don't feel any embarrassment about this whole incident. Nor like there was you. cotton candy. I was happy to eat it. Like it was cool to see Greg Baralter there. Maybe it was memorable for him. It certainly was for me. Like the elevator, like I said, was packed. Like this was not a, a subtle, quiet interaction. Like this was in front of whoever else was in that elevator. But mm -hmm. I don't know, guys. I got cotton candy. I got to watch a soccer game. It, it was a good day. What, well, wow. listen, the... The new series of Curb Your Enthusiasm is coming out later this year. You just got a preview of one of the segments from it there. Um, listener, I apologize. I was told that story was good and short before we came on air. But uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get to the Women's World if, if Cup. It, if it matters at all, that's my favorite story from All Star. So, uh, yeah, that's 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 how entertaining yeah. some of that, that was. Is, okay. That is a good story. That is worse than anything that Gio Reyna did to Berhalter. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to Women's World Cup, shall we? Thank you very much. By the way, more on uh, All-Star on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, including Joe and Taylor talking about butts up. Yeah. Enjoy that one, listener. Uh, in the meantime, Nigeria, Canada, we're talking about today, Philippines, Switzerland, and of course, Spain, Costa Rica, the games which have happened since last time we checked in with the Women's World Cup. Why don't we start off with Nigeria's goalish draw with Canada? 21,000 in the stadium for this one. Graham, Melbourne's rectangular stadium. Oh, the so, best of all the rectangular stadiums. I think we've cracked the shape the shape thing. Vera on our Discord, who appears to be from Hammerby, uh, Sweden, not Switzerland, um, noted that because it's a cricket country, a lot of the stadiums are round. And that made me think, MCC is probably the most famous stadium in Australia, Melbourne Cricket Ground. It's a giant circle. Uh, Liverpool, I think, have played some friendlies there recent, uh, in mm -hmm. recent years. So maybe they're onto something. And also... The Oval is an Oval in London. So, so yeah. just to be very clear, mm -hmm. the sticky hand uh, cotton candy story, too boring for you, but shape conversation shapes right is what up does Ryan's it for alley. Ryan. What, what we want to spend some time on is uh, <laughs> shapes and stadium names. Got See, it, got my, it, got it, got it. Mine was 15 to 20 seconds long, Top <laughs> it, it felt longer, if that helps. <laughs> Good atmosphere in this game. Anyway, for a lunchtime midweek kickoff during winter, I would say. Um, Joe, what do we make of this one? For a nil-nil, it seemed pretty fun, pretty frantic, yeah. the ending particularly. Lots of, uh, what do you call them, industrious tackles going in as well in this one. Yeah, somehow this was both tight and very, very open at the exact same time. I don't really know how they managed to pull that off, Canada and Nigeria, in a nil-nil. But, you know, from the start of this game, it was Canada really trying to take it to Nigeria, right? They were controlling the ball in this fluid 4-2-3-1 shape, trying to find Christine Sinclair in and around the box, find her in dangerous areas with her playing as that number 10. With mixed success and credit to Nigeria, I thought their defensive structure was very solid for large stretches of this game. They're in this 4-1-4-1 defensive block, trying to block off pathways into midfield, all of those kinds of things. 
But after the ball would turn over, Nigeria were not always efficient in those moments, but they were quick. Like they were trying to get forward quickly. Then Canada would go the other way. It was two teams that were willing and eager to attack open space whenever it was there. And it made for a lot of entertaining passages in this match. And then I think maybe the biggest moment really comes not in one of those crazy open moments, but it comes with Christine Sinclair yet again, had a chance to score. She's played in World Cup after World Cup after World Cup, is taking a penalty. And Nigeria's goalkeeper, Chiamaka Ndozi, 22-year-old, plays for Paris FC in, in France's top flight. She comes up huge in that moment, gets down, makes the save. It's a phenomenal bit of play from her. And and it sort of sparked me to go back and, and do a bit more research on Ndozi because not a player that I was super familiar with coming into this competition. She's been excellent in France both of the last two seasons. You toss in this penalty kick save. There's this idea sometimes that a good World Cup can kind of set you up for something special in your career or, or the next big move. I, I don't, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but I think there's a real chance that Ndozi with that save on Christine Sinclair, a moment that everybody will remember from this tournament, I think she's set up very, very well going forward. Joe, and in doing the preview for Nigeria, she was a player that I, I was definitely not familiar with. Really, I was only familiar with uh, Ashwala heading into that preview. Coming out of it, I was I was fascinated by the idea that multiple different previews from multiple different countries referred to her as the consensus best goalkeeper in Africa. Hmm. I think there are probably other contenders for that, but... Having heard that hype, having watched some of her game and knowing she was good, I did not know she was that good. And it's certainly the penalty save. It's the follow-up to the penalty save where then she's able to get a, like a, a hand to it, yeah. have the strong hand, and draw the foul uh, that, that I think was impressive. But also, coming for crosses, especially late, I think sometimes if you are a team that's sort of bunkered, as I felt like Nigeria were near the end, and sort of okay with that draw, you can have a goalkeeper who then is playing a more reactive style or staying a little bit uh, more at home, and that she kept coming off her line, winning crosses, punching the ball clear, and, and just commanded that box. It felt like there was never that vulnerability, that opportunity for a mistake or an individual error to come back to bite Nigeria, uh, even when they went down a player. I, I feel like there was still sort of comfortable even I guess with that player going off with like 90 seconds to go it was probably never going to be too threatening but still uh, I thought she was excellent uh, I do apologize that uh, I, I I had her as Nadozier uh, and then John Strong called her Nadonze the entire game and John Strong tends to work pretty hard on his pronunciation so I'm going to go with Ndonze from now on okay Joe I believe you previewed Canada if memory serves it feels like this was a bit of a subpar performance a bit They'll be upset they didn't get three points from this one. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah, I mean, absolutely it is, especially because this is not an easy group, right? Realistically, I think there was, you could roll the die for this group and it would come up a bunch of different ways, uh, more than it would for a number of other groups in this competition, right? Ireland, they struggle at times in their, their first game against Australia. Australia on three points, Canada on one, Nigeria on one, Ireland now on zero. This could still go a bunch of different ways. Canada did not do themselves any favors here. But, I mean, again, Nigeria did a lot of good stuff, but you can look at it from the other side. This is a, a things can be two things situation. Canada are the more talented team. They're the, the more, uh, they have more prestige coming into this competition. They have the quality to go out there and, and put in some good performances. But this was kind of the latest in a long line of pieces of evidence that's prompted me to think that this Canada team is, is fairly overrated. I, I thought they were fine in this game, but they weren't particularly decisive in the attack. They didn't look incredibly dangerous. Yeah, they were dominating the, the run of play, but they weren't like knocking on the door time after time after time. And I, I just, whenever I watch this Canada team, and I know they're dealing with injuries, a lot of teams in this competition are dealing with injuries, 
I just don't come away impressed. They're not incredibly direct or purposeful in almost anything they do. And I think it limits them. Yeah, Canada were a bit of a paradox in this game where if you look at a number of the, the kind of rudimentary stats, number of shots, 16 shots is, you know, pretty pretty decent normally. Um, but watching this match, I agree, Joe, it didn't feel like a goal was coming other than the penalty opportunity, of course, that Christine Sinclair has the, the shot um, saved. I kind of felt she telegraphed the, the, the penalty, to be honest, to the side that Endosi ends up making the save on. I didn't think it was a, a particularly good penalty. There were there were a couple of players that I thought played reasonably well for Canada. I thought Ash- Ashley uh, Lawrence was effective at left back of picking the ball up from deep and driving it forward. And she created a good shooting chance for Sinclair in the opening 10 minutes by by doing this. And that kind of set the tone for her performance. And as I say, we, we saw that a few times from Ashley Lawrence. I thought um, Jordan Hytema looked pretty incisive at times, although I don't know if she has the sharpness of finishing as, as a number nine. Um, I'd say Canada's attackers were somewhat let down by a lack of creativity from the wingers, and it was Lawrence and Riviere who offered more as the, the fullbacks in that regard. And I agree, Joe, with your kind of broad opinion of this Canada team. I watched this performance and I can see why some people are concerned about where the goals are going to come from for Canada at this tournament. And I, I wouldn't say this is a performance that eased those fears. I'm still confused what happened with Jesse Fleming. Uh, we we expected her to start. Uh, all of the pre-match hype was about how good she had looked in training, how she was going to be the the cog of, of the engine of the attack, uh, and yet does not play. I don't think we've gotten a ton of transparency or clarity on what the injury was or why she wasn't able to go. But that really comes home when you realize that Jesse Fleming is their penalty taker and is the most comfortable taking those penalties. Christine Sinclair, I think, missed one in 2019 and has since then talked about not really being comfortable taking them for Canada. Uh, but she has to in this situation because Fleming isn't there. Steps up and has her take saved. That's certainly not going to help her confidence, and it certainly didn't help Canada feel like they were going to get a ton of opportunities or a ton of clear-cut opportunities from that point on. So I think... Though you're right, Joe, there have been a ton of injuries in this tournament. The Jesse Fleming one feels even more sort of disruptive because it happened so close to kickoff and with so much kind of mystery around it. Uh, Graham, we had our first red card of the tournament as well. The aforementioned Ashley Lawrence uh, getting a tackle from Deborah Abiod. And it was one of those ones that it looked reasonably rough in real time. Then you watch the replay and you're like, wow, how was she not hurt even more by that? Kind of crazy. Yeah, I think a red card was the only possible decision there. Certainly when you saw the replay, it was a bit of a shocker. The referee, I'm not sure, got the correct call on the penalty. Um, I know there's been some debate around that. And there was a common theme with two of the penalties awarded awarded in, in, in today's games. By the way, there's been a penalty awarded in every single game so far at this tournament. Five and five. There were 25 at, in, in the 2019 Women's World Cup. So... We're on course to beat that by a, a pretty big, uh, pretty big distance. Considering they're going we're only big on to do the uh, VAR announcements on 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 the pitch, Graham. I think that's what it's all about. They're just trying to show off that right, new, okay. uh, new thing. They've basically just hired like every Matthew Lahoz and Mike Dean in <laughs> women's football. Yeah, they all want the attention, and so they're just giving every single penalty VAR decision. Yeah, I didn't think it was a penalty. Common theme with two of the penalties awarded today, as I was saying, is. The level of contact that's required for a foul in the box seems to be very, very low at this tournament. And I know it's a grey area where you're it's almost a subjective decision on how much contact is a foul. I didn't think this was a foul. I didn't think there was enough contact in it. Christian Sinclair sells that contact and kind of hops up 
into the air to get the attention of the officials and then the one in the uh was it the Philippines Switzerland game as well I didn't think was a penalty either so a mixed bag for the officials so far I would I would note with uh Abiodun conceding uh the penalty and then also picking up that red card she was a player I spotlighted in the Nigeria preview as being a source of some controversy because there were experienced players left at home uh, in this Nigeria squad uh and I- instead Randy Waldrum their manager uh, called up a few experimental players. Abiodun, chief amongst them, she is only 19 years old. And part of the reason why that was controversial is because Randy Waldrum is the Nigeria coach. He is also the coach of the uh, Pitt women's soccer team, where Abiodun has committed to play next season. So there was some speculation that he brings in a player who's going to be playing for him next season. Then he starts her in this game. Nigeria did have two players suspended, but... I didn't have either one of them starting in the central center of midfield uh, in this one. So it felt like he just preferred Abiodun. And I think conceding the penalty and then getting that red card is probably not the way she or Waldrum wanted that situation to go. So an interesting one to keep an eye on how he sort of navigates that one and how he navigates continuing to play different players in different positions than they are normally accustomed to. All right, so Canada and Nigeria on a point in Group B. Ireland, bottom of the pile after one round of games. Australia are on top, of course, with their win. So this one, uh, this game was the best result possible for the co-hosts, I would say. Yeah, very good. Let's yeah, take a quick absolutely. break. Joe absolutely. As Joe mentioned, that's a tight group, so I think this will actually have a big bearing on how the, the group kind of pans out from here. It will be indeed. Maybe that third game is going to be very interesting in this group. We shall find out. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Switzerland's victory over the Philippines. Back shortly. New game day shirt. Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to World Cup Day 2. We turn our attention now to the Dunedin Stadium. 
New Zealand. What shape? What shape is that? What what shape? <laughs> stadium is that shaped. It's very stadium, stadium shaped. shaped. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's where form. Switzerland pulled off their two 0 win over the Philippines. Aramana Bachman uh, getting the uh, opener from the spot, and Sarina Purbil scrambling one in to make it two 0 This was the Philippines' first World Cup match. Pretty strong performance, I'd say, on balance. There kept it pretty competitive throughout. Lots of support as well, Graham, in the in the stadium for the Philippines. Uh, New Zealand has a sizable Filipino population. There you go. Mm, I didn't know that. We, did we get that on the BBC broadcast? You were clearly listening more closely than I was. Yeah. I think I was probably listening to something on Spotify at the time while watching this game. But yes, you, I agree. You were on the Uber Eats, too busy trying to get your <laughs> yeah, McFlurry. Too, yeah, too busy eating my McFlurry at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was maybe it. But yes, I agree. The Philippines were... They were better than I probably expected in this match. That doesn't necessarily mean that they deserved something out of this game. Obviously, they were the underdogs in this one, but certainly they they started well. They looked relatively comfortable on the ball. Early on, they were getting bodies forward, and there were times when they had periods of of, of possession. Then there was the disallowed goal, of course, which um, was uh, Katrina Gui, who finishes well, but it's clearly offside, and that one was brought back, and it stays nil-nil. But the way the match was going at that stage, you just wonder how things, and obviously this is a complete hy- hypothetical, and actually it was a good piece of defending from Switzerland, where the, the, the defender steps up, I can't remember which defender it was, number two, I think it was, in that Swiss team, who would that have been? That was Sterling who steps up. And so it's a good piece of defending. But nonetheless, you just wonder how this match would have changed and how the dynamic would have changed had she that had Gui held her run and put the Philippines 1-0 up. I just wonder what phase the match would have moved into at that point and how Switzerland would have responded. Because while Switzerland probably did deserve three points, I, I didn't think it was a statement performance from them in any way. There were some uncomfortable moments for them um, I guess the second half was fairly fuss-free and they certainly stepped things up in in that second period and there was much more intent and they moved the fullbacks up a little bit higher after about 30 minutes of this match and that just pushed their line of possession higher up the pitch and that was when they started to get on top but the Philippines this is a weird match in that both teams will feel quite good coming out of, of of this game with how they played but also feel like they've got more in the tank, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Graham, I would agree with everything you just said. I I was impressed by a lot of what the Philippines did and didn't expect to come out of this game with the the main talking point that I have. But my my biggest talking point, while they did a lot of good stuff and kept it tight at the beginning of both halves and and I thought were, were good in a lot of ways in the first half, I felt like they left something on the table in this game. I don't know. I don't know if you guys noticed this when you're watching this match, but for me... A lot of the progress that Switzerland made attacking the Philippines, and the second goal is a great example of this, but it's not the only example, is they sent runners in behind a lot. Zernogosevic, playing as the number nine for for Switzerland, was slipping in behind time after time after time. They had Reutler, uh, who was playing as the left-sided number eight in their 4-3-3, making runs in behind. Switzerland had some success, not a ton of success, but some success playing in behind and targeting those runners because of how high the Philippines line was. Now, To be clear, I'm not talking about them defending at the halfway line or anything like that, right? This is all relative. This is not a uh, a Lyon or Barcelona high line that we're talking about here. This is not a U.S. women's national team high line. This is whatever the Philippines version of that is. But it was consistently like 35 to 45 yards away from their own goal line, which left a ton of space for Switzerland to attack. And they did time after time. The second goal, I mentioned it. I'll I'll run through what happens here. It is Poibel who finishes in the 64th minute. 
but it's Switzerland in possession on the left side. It's Reutler making a run in behind. She's played through. Again, tons of space there. Cuts it back to, to the number nine. That shot is saved. Then So, who's playing as the, the right-sided central midfielder, crashes, shoots, saved again. And then it's Poivel, finally, who finishes, and that's 2-0 Switzerland, and the game was probably over at that point. If the Philippines had dropped their line like 15 yards throughout the entirety of this game, I wasn't seeing a lot from Switzerland that made me think they were really threatening to break through. Yeah, yeah Bachman on the left is dangerous. Yes, Ernegorsevich is, is dangerous. There's talented players in this Swiss team, but I felt like this was a big miss from the Philippines. Their block was tight. It was compact, but it was compact too high up the field, and it left basically the whole back door open for Switzerland to just walk right through. Yeah, and that's what I mean, Joe, when I when I say I wonder what phase of the match it would have moved into had that disallowed goal stood because naturally teams that have a lead, particularly under right. lo- underdogs, right. will then drop a little bit deeper. And I agree, when Switzerland had to play through the Philippines um, and when they didn't have the benefit of playing behind that high line, they they, they struggled. And you look at how sec- certainly the second goal was score- scored where um, they it's one of the few times that they are able to take advantage of a moment when the Philippines' back line is kind of broken up and fragmented and they get in behind. But there weren't, there weren't many of those moments. Uh, which is surprising to me. Uh, previewing Switzerland, I, I felt like they could be ponderous at times, but a big part of that was getting uh, Noel Moritz, the left back, into very attacking positions. I thought they would have a shape more like a 4-1-3-2 for this game because that's something that they had been... Uh, like experimenting with. Admittedly, the five games leading into this tournament, they did not win a single one of them. So I get why maybe they didn't go with that shape. But with a 4-1-3-2, you have the defensive cover in the middle with Leo Volta. Then you have sort of two attackers, one of whom c- can drop in, one of whom can make the runs in behind. But you can have uh, Moritz uh, on the left and whomever you go with on the right. Be very attacking, Moritz especially. And it felt to me like they didn't commit those fullbacks until later on, as you talked about, Graham but still tried to be really direct. And it had all the hallmarks to me of a game in which the dominant team or the expected dominant team knows that they are supposed to win. And they're trying to kind of make that happen as quickly as possible because the longer you go without scoring, the more that pressure builds. And so, so much of the first 10 minutes was the Swiss just giving the ball away sort of needlessly, sort of cheaply uh, with not just long direct passes, but simple passes that were 10 and 15 yards hit right to a Philippines player. And, and it, it, it felt for all the world to me, like a sort of disjointed, we're going to be defensive, but also try to be direct, but also get numbers forward, but not overcommit numbers. And I think as the game went on, they got, a little bit more comfortable they got players into better positions they got more players into more attacking positions I still come away from this one thinking that though Norway did not start well uh, in their opener I feel like Norway versus Switzerland I I think Norway could get that win there I I don't know how confident the Swiss should be feeling even if they top the group right now Taylor well on that note obviously Bachmann scored the opener mm-hmm. in this one. Would you say it's fair to say that Buckman had such a good performance that Buckman turned her overdrive on? Buckman turned her overdrive. I was wondering where we were going. Yeah, and you could tell. There are always yep. there are little texts, there's little cues that you're winding <laughs> up to something. And you telegraphed that one right. She did take she did take care of business. Uh, and, and she did uh, finish that penalty very well. Uh, I thought she was uh, as dangerous as I expected her to be, she was sort of that playmaker who did drop in, then did try to make runs, did have a couple different times where she would dribble her way out of pressure and then play a really good through ball for a player who had stopped their run. Uh, so again, it just wasn't the maybe fluid attacking performance Swiss fans would have been hopeful for. They weren't 
necessarily known for that in uh, World Cup or yeah, World Cup qualifying. So uh, I, I guess maybe I'm being a little bit like overly critical out of like familiarity with watching them. But I, I had more expectations for this one. And, and instead come away from this one with just a few questions about how they're going to look against New Zealand and Norway. Okay. Uh, Graham, that penalty decision, just to come back to that, near happy with it, were you? No. I, I thought the penalty decision in this match in particular was a nonsense, quite frankly. Um, I understand that there's a swing of the boot by by Cower and there there was probably contact with, with Sow, but soccer... To repeat my point from earlier, it's a contact sport. Even in the penalty box, it is a contact sport. And just because there is contact doesn't mean mean that it's a foul. And I just thought the contact was almost non-existent. It, it didn't take down the Swiss attacker because she was already like horizontal on the ground. And that in itself has to be a factor in the, in the decision-making process. So has made herself like six foot long on the ground. That's why Cowart catches her with her follow-through on, on her kick. Yeah, just just not a penalty in my book. And while there probably is room for interpretation, I think it's a careless foul in the laws of the game. That would be what the referee would say it was awarded for. I my interpretation of that it, it's it's not a careless moment. There's a reason why she catches the player, and it's because the player's lying along the ground. <laughs> Interested to see what you think of the Spanish penalty, which we'll talk about shortly as well. With the uh, that one was sold well, rather well. Late- yeah, I've got less sympathy, though, when you dive in with a sliding tackle, though. Like, <laughs> yes, enough. it probably was a bit of a dive from the Spanish player. But yeah, the defender didn't help herself. That is fair enough. All right, Joe, anything more to say about this game? How did you feel about the Swiss and how they'll uh, progress going forward? Yeah, I wasn't super impressed. I think this is a team and, and this kind of ties into a larger tactical conversation that we had during one of our one of our last group previews for this competition about you know international soccer is always maybe a beat behind club soccer because players aren't together very often. And it also feels like some of the coaches at at this competition in particular aren't great. And so you see some limited execution and some limited ideas from different teams. I felt that a little bit with Switzerland here. They had an idea of how they wanted to play, but it just seemed to me like the ball was moving too slowly. Players weren't rotating quick enough on the field. And you know with some of the talent that's in this team, especially in the front line, they have abilities to pull off some extremely impressive sequences and it felt like that just wasn't really a part of this team. And maybe that's because the Philippines did even a better job with the high line than I, I gave them credit for. Maybe it's just also because Switzerland have their own limitations. So, again, I feel like we'll get this with a lot of teams and certainly with Spain in the next game that we'll talk about. Like, I just want to see more, right? This is giving us the, the great primer on these teams. I, we know now a bit more about Switzerland and about how they'll deal with this World Cup in particular. But how will they face Again, how they fare, excuse me, against the other two teams in this group. New Zealand, we expect, will give them a, a very compact 4-4-2 defensive shape that they have to break down. Norway will be more expansive, and that could be a better matchup. But again, even though this wasn't the, the greatest performance I've seen from Switzerland, maybe they've got another gear, or or maybe this yeah. is just who they are. Can I, can I just finish on a positive note for Switzerland? One player who I was relatively impressed with was Pubel, who scores the, the second goal, and that's one of the things that I love about World Cups is that there are always players that you are 
either not so familiar with or just haven't heard of before. And Pujol was a player that I hadn't heard of before and and kind of felt bad about that. Someone who plays for the, the Swiss, na- Swiss national team at a World Cup. Uh, she plays for FC Zurich and this was only her fifth cap for Switzerland. So maybe I'll forgive myself a little bit there for not knowing who she was. But I thought in the second half in particular, when Switzerland got the fullbacks uh, pushed up and she was linking well with Ab- Abigan on, on, on the right side as, as the wing, as the fullback, I thought she was one of the few Swiss players that was getting in those half spaces and was finding uh, pos- good positions. So I am excited to see more of her in, in future games. All right, Group A, after one round of games, we've got Switzerland and New Zealand in the top two spots. Norway and Philippines with Neil Poir so far in this tournament. When we come back after this break, we're going to head to Group C. We're going to talk about Spain's big win over Costa Rica back shortly. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. 
And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Women's World Cup preview. We turn our attention now, Graham, to Wellington's regional stadium of unknown shape. It was wet, windy and cold for this one. Uh, 2,296 fans were in attendance, so the second highest crowd for women's soccer in New Zealand after the opener um, yesterday, of course. This one, Graham, most one-sided game in the tournament so far. Yeah. Could have been a bigger scoreline here. Um, a few standout performances from the Spanish. Yeah, so I guess the first thing to say is these aren't the matches that Spain will be judged on at this World Cup. This match was always likely to go this way purely because of the talent advantage that Spain have over Costa Rica. So in a sense, it's kind of difficult to analyse Spain's performance and then try and project it forward against opponents of a higher calibre. Nonetheless, this was maybe the first statement game we've seen at this World Cup by one of the, the, the big nations. It was just complete dominance by Spain. It certainly wasn't perfect. Um, we'll come on to that a little bit later, but I don't think anyone now doubts how strong they could be at this World Cup. It was the sort of performance we have come to expect from Spain in the past. They had lots of the ball, 81% possession share, and there was a point around the hour mark when that was 85%, so that tells you a lot in itself about how this match went. They played a lot of quick one-two passes. Their average ball recovery time was 10 seconds. They played a lot of crosses into the box, which is something I said in my preview they would do. 57 crosses into the box in this match, to be precise. Uh, most impressive was actually that Spain found one of their players 28 times out of those 57, which is quite a quite a high ratio. I don't know whether that says more about Spain or Costa Rica's defence. Where they were less impressive was in their conversion rate. So they had 46 shots in this match. 46! That's a new record for a Women's World Cup match. So if you do the quick math, three goals from 46 shot isn't if 46 <laughs> shots, excuse me, isn't a great ratio. Oh, no. Having said that, I, I didn't feel like they missed a whole like a, a great number of clear-cut opportunities and maybe the XG contradi- contradicts that. Um but I think if it is I haven't seen the XG by the way, but I if, got it's, it for if it is a, a Ryan Meyer, What is it, Joe? Yeah, so it's according to FB Ref, Spain racked up 4.7 expected goals compared to Costa Rica's 0.1. So there's there's wow, the Costa Rica 0.1 is so <laughs> yeah. damaging. Yeah. But, it's a little yeah, I'm not surprised. Is. Yeah. I'm not surprised it is a big XG number, but I think that's probably because of the sheer number of attempts rather than the quality of the those individual attempts. Um so yeah, it felt like Spain needed to do more with turning their dominance into better opportunities. There were times, especially in the first half, where it felt like they were overplaying it a little bit and not taking the shot. And sometimes there was a couple of times when they would play it into the box, which they were finding very easy to get into the box. But then they'd like turn back and lay it back to a worse position for a shot. So if I'm Jorge Vilda, that's probably where I'm focusing ahead of the next match against Zambia on Wednesday. But nonetheless, as I say, pure dominance from Spain. Graham, is there any chance that part of that was because they were 3-0 up instead of 27 minutes? Like, I know we've seen teams, the United States uh, in particular, crush teams to start the tournament as a way to just kind of keep that momentum going. But it did feel to me like after it was 3-0, 
Spain definitely didn't take their foot off the gas because they completed over 500 passes and had, as you said, 81% of possession. But I, I do just wonder if there was a little bit of slackness to that play that maybe wasn't there to start the game. And that does go some way towards explaining that lack of XG or the XG not being higher, I guess is a better yeah, way to put it. I, I certainly agree that in the second half, they took their foot off the pedal a little bit. And on the BBC commentary, they were given a lot of Costa Rica credit for being able to push up higher and looking a bit more comfortable. And I'm thinking, mm. yeah, this is a game state <laughs> thing that doesn't really say much about how, how Costa Rica are, are playing. So yes, yeah, certainly could be a factor, but it was something that I felt was applicable in the first half as well when it felt like Spain were, were obviously trying to rack up a, a, a big scoreline in this one. There was a lot of kind of, as well as she played... There were a lot of Bon Matty left foot curling shots from outside the box and shots from the edge of the D. And I felt like there were a good few times when Spain could have worked the opportunity. It basically just comes down to decision making because I both felt they were overplaying things. And then there were other times when they could have worked it one pass more to a better position and they didn't do it. So maybe that's just down to tournament rustiness and we'll see them sharpen up in the next few games. Graham, can I just weigh in on the Spain stats here? I've got some expanded ones. 588 passes, 22 corners, 85 crosses, and as you say, 46 shots. Obviously, that's not a good ratio, 46 shots to three goals. But can we give credit to the Costa Rica goalkeeper, Daniel Sorella? 11 saves made, including the penalty as well. She had an incredible game today and obviously kept the scoreline down. Yeah, she, she was awesome. Like the penalty, you mentioned it. So much to like from Solera here. 26-year-old co- goalkeeper plays in Costa Rica, not a, a super heralded Nade coming into this competition, but even in the midst of a, a blowout, 3-0 is not necessarily a crazy blowout, but the game was a blowout. I think it's it's encouraging for Costa Rica to have a, a performance and something that can allow them to have a little bit of momentum, and that is certainly Solera in goal for them. Also, we should note, the greatest name in the history of names, Priscilla Chinchilla, started for Costa Rica in the attack. I'm a little bit disappointed we haven't gotten to her yet, but she did start in limited impact, but encouraging to see that because you love to see it. I, I uh... I think at this point I've made some of my feelings on on finishing and converging, converting chances pretty clear. I, I'm not sure I could care less about you know the number of chances that Spain did put in the back of the net. What I will say is one thing that's not factored in, if we are going to get into the nitty gritty of, of their conversion, maybe this makes it even worse, is one of the goals is an own goal, right? So that doesn't factor into the XG. That doesn't actually come off a, a Spanish player's foot. And what's a penalty that, as well. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So, I mean, a lot of, of strange situations here, but it was that own goal, the first goal of this game for Spain coming in the 21st minute that I thought was like maybe the best moment in this match. They're in the final third. It's Hermoso, plays forward. Eventually they find Bonmati, who plays this awesome first-touched, flicked pass into Esther Gonzalez, who then wisely, I think, hits a ball low and hard across that corridor of uncertainty, right? You know, across maybe just inside the edge of the six-yard box where all it needs is a toe to poke it into the back of the net from either side. And Costa Rica end up providing that finishing touch to put the ball in the back of the net. But it's that moment that shows a quality that Spain have that I'm genuinely not sure, especially with some of the injuries to England, Frank Kirby, that I'm not sure if any team in this competition has other than Spain, like that moment of pure quality of being composed, finding an opportunity to play through the lines, finding an opportunity to break into the box, even if they weren't completely clean finishing off and they weren't finishing off attacks. The fact that Spain create more of those kinds of chances, again, asterisk Costa Rica, Graham led with that. I think we can all agree. The fact that Spain create more of those chances than anybody else in the world should have their fans feeling very optimistic. And I don't even think 
that Spain had that quality at the Euros last year. Um, obviously, they've got they still had a lot of nice possession play, but the way that Esther Gonzalez spins and gets in behind to create that moment and to square it across for the own goal. I remember watching a lot of Spain at the Euros last year. And yes, it was good to watch and a lot of possession and all that good stuff, but it was in front of the opposition defence. They didn't have those attackers to break the lines. A lot of that was down to injuries. Jennifer Hermoso was out injured. Patelis was out injured as well. Esther Gonzalez actually was in the squad, but was kind of used as a as, as a player off the bench, as an option off the bench. She's very much now the starting number nine. And so there's a bit of a contradiction in my opinion of the Spain performance where Yes, they were very wasteful. Yes, they didn't seem to have a lot of conviction in front of goal. But generally looking at the profile of their performance, I thought there was more purpose to their attack in this game than we've seen previously from them. And so that is encouraging. Yeah, I'm very encouraged, Taylor, by this Spanish performance. It's obviously a good reason why they're in the top three favourites for this tournament. I just thought what, what I would say was they were the polar opposite of Norway yesterday. They were technically smart. They seemed very well drilled, lots of possession and creativity. Basically, they had a plan. And mm-hmm. that, that seemed everything in Norway. I'm not, I'm not necessarily picking on Norway here. I'm just trying to say that this, this Spanish team, very impressive and looks like they're going to go deep. I didn't think you were picking on Norway. I did think you were setting up another pun joke. So I was really <laughs> waiting for the, for the, for the whole buildup to, to, to be some sort of pun. Uh, but yes, this, this, this to me was the most dominant performance, even if there are question marks around it and concerns around it. I still came away from this one thinking Spain... Pretty good, with lots of passes. Death by a thousand passes, or half a thousand passes, I guess. Half a thousand passes, indeed. 588, to be more precise. Um, to Costa Rica's 70, I think, is the number I saw. Mm. 74, something like that. That yeah. is a lot to not a lot, and, uh, for people who don't know numbers good. <laughs> and Thank you for that, Taylor. And even <laughs> the are. number of crosses for Spain relative to, so to the ridiculous. total completed passes by Costa Rica is like a, a shocking ratio. It's way closer than you'd ever expect. The... The last thing really for me, or, or at least, you know, one of the last things is I am I'm very concerned now about Zambia to, to shoehorn the Copper Queens into this. I'm very concerned about Zambia's ability to deal with Spain. I think this performance probably solidified mm-hmm. what, what didn't really need to be solidified, but but very much is the, the first step towards Spain marching on towards the knockout rounds. They have Zambia next. Zambia, since the World Cup rosters were announced and we've done our previews, have lost their starting goalkeeper. And one of their their star sort of fluid attackers can play in midfield, can play higher up in Grace Chanda. They're both gone. And my concern with Zambia to begin with was defensively, they're not especially strong. They give up a lot of goals. They score a lot of goals. You take the goalkeeper out of that squad and what Spain just did to Costa Rica in this game. Zambia, a stronger team than Costa Rica, but not totally different in that they're also vulnerable defensively. I have real concerns. And then I think the, the key game for Spain but maybe we won't even see them really dedicate full resources to it, is going to be that final group stage game against Japan. Like, that is the matchup. And for Spain, the fact that these games kind of rolled out how they did, yes, they'll want to win because of seeding for later on in the tournament, but, like, the fact that these games kind of came as they did for Spain, where they can get this first win, I would now very much expect them to take down Zambia in the next match. I think they're in they're in the catbird seat, to use something I haven't hey, seen on the show in quite some time. I know we're moving towards specific predictions for like the next couple games we're going to be doing, uh, but I want to bookmark this one now for whenever we do that Spain-Zambia preview. Can I just predict ahead of time that they uh, Spain will have 20 or more corners in that game? Because they had 22 against Costa Rica, and I feel like they're going to have, uh, to Joe's point, more opportunities, more shots. I'm going to say 20 or more corners for Spain against Zambia. Uh, I'll try to bookmark that one for when we get to that preview. Uh, but yeah. 
Uh, ridiculous, ridiculous numbers for Spain, less so for Costa Rica. Joe, I think your concerns for Zambia are well-founded. Indeed. Uh, Graham, a quick note on the penalty. Uh, as I sort of noted earlier, it was sold rather well, but probably the most nailed-on penalty of the day. Is that fair to say? Yeah, as I say, don't have any sympathy for a defender who flies into a tackle like that and gets nowhere near the player. I'm not sure whether there was actually any contact, so I guess you could argue maybe it wasn't a penalty, but I feel like in that situation, there's there's more reason to punish the defender there than there was in the other two instances. And Graham, a tight five on Priscilla Chinchilla, please. Just greatest name in football she's just saving up the goals for later in the tournament I was watching it when um, Spain were 3-0 up at halftime and thinking wow Priscilla Chinchilla's got a lot to do in this second half so hopefully uh, she'll come up big in the next two games she will indeed Uh, apropos of nothing I found out there's a college football player called Dude Person today that's a no that's a good handle no is that so is that the number one spot for best names in sport or that's Chinchilla that's gotta be like one? a key and peel bit right there like are you sure you weren't just yeah. watching that east west bowl or whatever that video is ryan <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's out there it's it's a real thing it's a real thing yeah as taylor mentioned we're going to move on to our very specific predictions the whole gang's here so we're going to lay down some specific predictions who won't go first joe won't go first you yeah, so I I want go first. I guess we're all going to rock with the caveman language. Um, <laughs> my VSP is for the U.S.'s game against Vietnam. Come on, it has to be. Taylor and I will be recording after that game later on tonight, so that episode will hopefully be out fairly soon after that game finishes up. We're going to dive Yay. into all of the nitty-gritty. I've got... <laughs> this, this sounded way more impressive, I'll be honest, before I knew that Spain crossed the ball 900 times today. My VSP for the United States is that they're going to cross the ball at least 30 times against Vietnam can I go? I'm going to go 40. I'll up it to 40. I think ultimately, oh <laughs> regardless of whether that number is correct, as always, the idea with VSPs is to give some context of what might happen in the game. Like, I care less about re- being right or wrong, although I do want that golden chewy, Kenneth. I would really like it, and I'm willing to talk about bribes if we have to. But the idea is to try and, and give a, a, a preview of what actually might happen in the game. And I think we're going to see the U.S. with a lot of possession. Vietnam like to play with five at the back. They want to attack on the break. They're not going to have the quality. In some ways, they could look a bit like the Philippines, but not expecting them to look quite that strong. And the U.S. better than Switzerland. It's going to be a lot of the U.S. with the ball out wide because that's what they do under Vlatko. And I'm expecting a lot of crosses tonight. Joe, you went from 30 to 40 very quickly. Correct. If we were doing an auction, I'm just curious. If I then said 41, 42. Like how high would you comfortably go? I would probably cut myself off at 45. And even then, okay. I'm just like totally flying blind. <laughs> 30, I felt like was fair, but I, I felt like I had to step myself up after Spain had their performance today. All right. So between 40 and 45, uh, Joe says, that is going to be insane and frustrating if it happens, Joe, which feels about right. Wow, that will be impressive indeed. Uh, I'm going to go with a slightly less bombastic, very specific prediction for England versus Haiti. Um, I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game. England haven't scored in open play in forever and traditionally start off uh, World Cups pretty slowly in the opening game. But I'm going to say that Rachel Daly is going to get the opening goal and is going to get it early as well. She is a golden boot contender for this one. What counts as early? Hold on, we we need to set some parameters here. What's early? Opening 15 minutes. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, yeah that's fine. Opening, I jumped in too yeah, early. That feels okay. good, ironically. She's a golden boot contender, uh, most likely outlet for England's goal scoring, I would imagine. Obviously, had a blinding uh, Women's Super League uh, score, uh, campaign last season, was top scorer. Also, has some good opening. Get, uh, opening goal statistics scored the opener in three of her last four domestic games, scored the opener in three of England's last 
eight matches as well. What's that, Graham? You're saying I'm repurposing betting tips for, for VSPs again? No. <laughs> Ryan would never do that. that. Of course I'm not Ryan's doing never that. done no, that Rachel before. Daly Tell on yourself there, Ryan Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, how about you? What do you got? Uh, I don't know which game to go for. I, I've got a vibesy one, and then I've got a statistical one. Joe, what should I what should I go for? Vibesy or statistical? You call it. Joe is frozen. Joe is frozen. <laughs> Someone else call it. Vibesy <laughs> or statistical? Which one are you feeling, Graham? Like I, I don't know. I, I think. What do you want it to be in this World Cup? Do you okay. want it to be vibes or stats? I vibes. Okay, so I'm. I, I, yeah, I'm gonna go for vibesy, and also I'm gonna Joe go for vibesy because hi, Joe. Um, because. Joe. The Vibesy prediction is anti-English, basically. So that's the one. I, oh, I, like I that say one. that's good. Yeah. That no, one. Do yeah. the other one now. <laughs> Ryan's suddenly a big stats guy. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Melchie Domernay will create a real moment of panic in the England defence at some yes. point of their match. So I'm going to clarify real moment of panic. This is like a dribble where she takes on two or three players or she has kind of England defenders doing a Jerome Boateng or something like that. Um, so, yeah, as I say, a little bit vibesy, but that's what I'm going for. De Mornay is going to give, going to give that England defence a heart attack at some point. Mm. Is that a like, you know, you'll know it when you see it sort of moment, Graham? Yes, exactly. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Like and, if, and if there's some disagreement on what that what uh, counts as a moment of panic, we'll let the Discord decide they are the adjudicators on this. Very well. Some uh, lionesses on their butts, potentially in their own area. Is Graham's VSP. Last but not least, Taylor Darling, what have you got? Uh, I have that Japan will score directly with an asterisk from a Zambia turnover or mistake. I don't mean like the goalkeeper dropping it and then someone tapping it in. But uh, Japan, when they do press, they'll press uh, very much based on where the ball is. They have pretty strong pressing triggers. And I think then they will sort of swarm and attack really aggressively. And I could see them forcing a turnover and then within five or ten seconds having the ball in the back of the net uh, off of a Zambia mistake. So that's either like a giveaway pass to somebody who is no longer there or just being dispossessed or coughing the ball up in a bad position. But I think Japan will basically force a goal from a Zambia mistake. So do we call that an unforced error or a forced error? An error is what I call okay. it. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> I'm, not going, I'm not going too specific. I'm not going Joe Lowry here. Okay, okay. That's fine. That's the, the, after all, this section is called not too specific predictions. Mm -hmm. so you've, uh, yeah. you've nailed the uh, assignment there. Oh, okay. Er, er, okay, v vague early man over there. <laughs> uh, you want to you do this? We can go back and forth on this one, my friend. Yeah, I'm not fighting this battle. Uh, thank you very much, gents, for your VSPs there. Just to round out the four games which are happening tomorrow, or one of which is happening tonight, if you are on the American continent. Uh, obviously, the first match of Group E is the USWNT taking on Vietnam at 9 Eastern on Friday evening. Some overlap with Inter-Miami versus Cruz Azul there. Mm, interesting. Maybe catch the first half of... Um, Messi sitting game. on the bench. Yeah, yeah the halfway yeah. and Messi isn't playing. Yeah, you can <laughs> right. catch that one before this one starts. Excellent. Uh, Zambia versus Japan up next from Group C. And then Group D uh, later in the day, earlier in the morning, is England, Haiti, and Denmark versus China. Marvelous stuff. Joe Lowry, a pleasure chatting with you. And I'm sorry I wasn't more upbeat about your cotton candy story. It sounds wonderful that you met a person and said your hands were sticky. I think I think Taylor got more excited about that than, than anybody else. I did enjoy that interaction and I enjoy doing this show. It's good to be back. I love the World Cup. Mm. Lots of fun. All I could think, Joe, when you told that story was if someone said that to me, I'd say, well, of course your hands are sticky. You're holding a stick. Uh, um, no. 
I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go. No, no. I, I gotta go. Let that silence sit there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I should have added earlier. The elevator was so crowded, and I was talking to, to a friend of mine, so I was facing away from that. So I heard Joe's conversation, but it was so friendly and lighthearted. I was like, "Oh, Joe must be talking to a, like a colleague or a friend of his." And so to turn around and see it be Greg Berhalter was, I think, where the, the true uh, shock came from. Uh, one other little admin thing, uh, because Joe and I are doing that U.S. review tonight, we're not basically all the other games we're going to be kind of cramming into the Sunday review. So it's going to be a packed Sunday review, uh, gentlemen. I, I hope we're all ready. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday will yeah. be a big event for the Total Soccer Show. Sounds good. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for all your contribs on this here episode. Thank you, my friend. And Graham Rutherford, thank you, sir. Um, go Uber Eats your uh, dinner from somewhere terrible, please. I'm going to Uber Eats like a, one of those giant lollipops the size of your head so that I've got something to compare to Joe's cotton candy. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Marvellous stuff. Look forward to seeing that on the Patreon. Listener, thank you for joining us on day two. We'll be back, as Taylor mentioned, with a review of the USWNT match. But for now, bye!